You're listening to the Business for Good podcast, the show where you'll hear inspirational stories about companies making money by solving some of the world's most pressing problems. I'm your host, Paul Shapiro, and I'm glad you've joined us. Hello, friend, and welcome to episode number 127 of the Business for Good podcast. I first met the guest for this episode back in 2018, where he was pitching at a startup competition, and I was in the audience, and I can tell you, this dude electrified the room. He not only went on to win that pitch competition, which was very obvious from me listening to his highly charismatic and energetic speech, but he's gone on to do great things, and we talk all about that in this episode. As a young man, G.W. Chu saw his family dying early of lifestyle-related diseases, and he thought maybe, just maybe, he could do something about it. With a last name like that, yes, Chu really is his real last name. Maybe G.W., which is also his real first name, it doesn't stand for anything, it's just G.W., was maybe this guy was destined to become a chef, and that's exactly what he did. Because of his interest in Seventh-day Adventism, G.W. gradually became Chef Chu. He was experimenting with Seventh-day Adventist recipes, ultimately leading him down the path of opening up his own restaurant and now to being a plant-based meat manufacturer. His company, Something Better Foods, is already selling six different plant-based meats to school districts and to some Whole Foods market locations as well. As you hear in this interview from Chef Chu, unlike most plant-based meat, he does not rely on extrusion of plant protein isolates, but rather uses a layerization process that he pioneered using whole soybeans to make his brand of alt meat, which is called Better Chew. As Chef Chu says, it looks like chicken, it tastes like chicken, but it ain't chicken. In this conversation, I talk with Chef Chu about his life path, his alternative financing strategies for something better foods, where he's been, and where he intends to take the company. If you're interested in the alternative protein sector as much as I am, you're going to love this interview. Chef Chu, welcome to the Business for Good podcast. Hey, man. It's, I'm happy to be here, Paul, man. It's uh, been a long time coming, man. And so just thanks for inviting me. Yes, sir. I'm excited. You know, the first time that we met, I'm sure that you'll remember because you were pitching at the Food Funded Conference in it's like, it was, it was 2018 in San Francisco. Yeah. And I was watching you pitch. And there are all these entrepreneurs who are up there talking about their products. And many of them are giving these like dry, boring things. They're talking about like total addressable market and the gross margins they're going to get. And you got up there, you lit the whole crowd on fire and you won first prize. You, you won the whole yeah. thing. It was amazing. So what happened? Yeah, man. So that was actually, believe it or not, I had just moved. Actually, I didn't just move. I actually just got really involved in the startup world. I was actually a, been a chef, restaurateur. We'll talk about that some more. But at that point, I got excited about getting into plant-based food manufacturing. I went through my first accelerator and I learned about that pitch competition, man. And What, what and was the accelerator that you were in? CA Fun Good Jobs was a local program in Oakland, California that pretty much had an eight-week accelerator. I can't remember the name of the, what the exact modules was. It was eight weeks. I remember I had did it, You know, got kind of introduced to a lot of startup concepts. We've done a bunch of restaurants prior to that, but this was kind of more into the startup kind of, you know, building a company, you know, opposed to, yeah. again, my background being restaurant tour, brick and mortar kind of locations. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of, man, my beginning. But they had, they had somebody had told me about Food Funded. I had came to the one in 2017. And I said, in 2018, man, I'm going to pitch. And, and that was a monumental experience, man. That was kind of my very beginning of I found my first investors, a good friend that we both have. Nate saw Peter was, was there. I met him at that event and some other individuals, man. So it was, it was the beginning of 
my fundraising journey. I got the you know first place in that. I got to Expo at the pitch at Expo East, you know, and different things as a result of that. So it was a really monumental experience, man. That that food funded experience. Yeah, that's cool. And and yeah, so Nate saw Peter, a wonderful guy. Uh, you know, he he's a really wonderful guy. He's the he and his wife Anna Sweet run the Sweet Farm for people who are interested in animal welfare. They have a farm animal sanctuary. It used to be in California. Now it's in upstate New York. We'll link to Sweet Farm in the show notes of this episode at businessforgoodpodcast.com. But you talked about the beginning. So let's talk about that because, you know, people know you as Chef Chu, right? Yeah. So your your actual name is G.W. Chu. And I was, I, I was impressed to learn that your name is G.W. It isn't. It's just two letters, it, man. It, it's, it's not it's, it's not short for it. anything. It's just G.W. That's cool. Yeah. And so you and I are both from Maryland. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 I know. I don't think we, I, I, I grew up in Montgomery County. I don't know. Okay. I grew up in Calvary County, man. So yeah, not yeah. too far, but an hour, yeah. hour or so from you, man. It's cool. Very cool. Very cool. So what happened when you were a kid? Because I know that you didn't grow up as a vegetarian. There's something that happened to you as an adult, but you were always interested in food. So what was it that led you yeah, man. So kid on, this, on this culinary path? Yeah, interesting story, man. Thanks for asking that, man. So I actually, I was adopted at birth, which is, I always talk about that story. And it was a family that had the last name Chu. That's always the funny part, right? It's like my last name actually being C-H-E-W. Um, it's like, <laughs> Right, this is like a stage name. This is the actual name. This is my actual last name, man. And it's interesting because the black family, you know, most people think it's an Asian last name, but a black family. I grew up again, and you know, we both grew up in Maryland, but I grew up in Southern Maryland, which was a rural part of Maryland, Calvert County. My my father actually grew up as a sharecropper, and so you know, very country family. My you know, my father's family was very just ate off the land, meat and potato family. You know, they were farmers. My father shot squirrels in the window. He was like that type of country guy, man. Like he was a super country, you know, but, you know, my best memories, I always talk about my memories as a child, man, holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, you know, it's, you know, you got the fried chicken, the, you know, the ribs, the, you know, the the ham and the bacon and the mac and cheese and, you know, a lot of soul, soulful, soul food type recipes, a lot of heavy meat eating in my family and a lot of the, sadly, a lot of disease. So as a child, I saw, you know, again, flavorful, good food. But again, many of the foods that we grew up eating, you know, was pretty much underlying the, you know, the cause of disease in a lot of people that I loved. And in an early age, I saw many of my family members, early 40s, late 40s, early 50s, begin to have lethal diseases. And many of them began to literally, I mean, die, man. And it was devastating. You know, losing aunts and uncles way too young due to cancers and different things, heart disease. Ironically, my mother's side of the family was actually Seventh Adventist, and many of them were actually vegetarians. And so, you know, it's, it's a new documentary on uh, Netflix called the, about the Blue Zones, and it's a place called Loma Linda, California. It's a very big Adventist Seventh Adventist population. But you know, my faith perspective that I grew up around was, you know, vegeta- a lot of them were vegetarians. And so, as a child, I would go to my uncle's and my aunt's house on my mother's side of the family, and many of them were eating vegetarian foods. Like, and this is in the 80s and the 90s, you know, and a lot of that was like canned vegetarian foods, old school, like, you know. Oh, no, these, I, I, I ate those Worthington hot dogs there you go. in the So can. you know exactly what I'm talking about. Worthington, yeah. exactly, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I became vegan in 1993, and so, you know, there wasn't, you know. So you know what I'm talking there, about, there, exactly. There, there, were, there wasn't out there, those things yeah. that, we, that we have now. But the Adventists were the big purveyors. There were like two things. There was like tofuti, yes, you know, the tofuti, yep, for, which is primarily for, for kosher Jews. So they would put out cream cheese, things like that. 
and and the Adventists had the Worthington brand, which I don't know yes. if it even exists anymore. But you know, there, there was it still does, man. It yeah, still man, does. That's awesome. Yeah, there yeah. there were some other brands. I mean, there was like you know, Boca was around yeah, back Boca, then. Morning Star, Morning Star, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, and it wasn't like, you know, like it would, the world, you know, wasn't even in color yet. And we were walking both ways yeah. uphill to, you know, like it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't terrible, but the options were not what they were today. But no, I remember the, the Adventist stuff, but you, I mean, you didn't become an Adventist though until you were an adult. Isn't that right? Nah, so, so what happened was, you know, my mother, you know, she wasn't attending the church, but she, you know, she grew up in the church and she sent me to church with my uncle and my, my uncle, and my aunt. And so at a very young age, I started attending the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so on weekends, I would actually eat vegetarian food, you know. And so every Saturday, you know, went to church on Saturdays and we ate vegetarian food every Saturday, you know, pretty much from third or fourth grade all the way through high school. And so you can imagine, again, during the week, you know, we're eating, you know, meat and everything else you could think of. But on every Saturday, I would go to my uncle's and aunt's house and they would have actually very good, not vegan, but very good vegetarian food tasted very well. And so I got exposed to vegetarianism as a kid and started making changes, you know, around 12 years old, I stopped eating pork and things like that. And then when I was 17, 18 years old, I actually became vegetarian and 18 became a total vegan. And that kind of became my journey. And again, it was inspired by my faith perspective, again, being seven at Venice, but this seeing, you know, people in my, especially my, specifically my father's side of the family, seeing so much disease, just the, the dietary challenges that we're in, especially in minority communities, it really inspired me to want to, and you know, pretty much, you know, become a plant, become plant based. At that time, total vegetarian. We didn't really say vegetarian, back, vegan back then, right? It was like total vegetarian. Um, and for that, me, it was that's a lot really of really funny. You know, yeah, man. And uh, it was curiosity, I think. So when I became a vegetarian, total vegetarian. Uh, again, that's vegan is old school word for. But when I became a vegan, though, that was, you know, again. I grew up eating all this flavorful, soulful, you know, recipes, a lot of the vegetarian food. I mean, at that point, Paul, you know, it wasn't any vegan cheeses out there. It wasn't no vegan butters out there. We was making everything literally from scratch. I mean, cashew, cheese, and, you know, yeah. I mean, everything was like scratch made. And it's like these old oh. school recipes, man, oat burgers and yeah. things like yeah. that, man. And I remember, do you, do you remember the Sunshine Burgers? I've heard this. Yeah. No, I don't remember okay. exactly, but I remember seeing so, the name. Yeah, I, I still see them every once in a while. Sold, so the brand is still in existence, but they're really good. Now, uh, obviously, they don't look or taste like meat, but they are a patty, right? And they're kind of green, but yes. they're you know That's, they're yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah. I, I love <laughs> I, you know I still love them. I don't I don't buy them really because I don't see them, but I still love them. But I remember reading like about because you know there's no internet back then, and I remember reading about what i saw the word vegan and i thought it was vegan and i was like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, well, these vegans <laughs> like that is really weird and i thought you know i i was already a vegetarian but i thought you know this vegan thing must be like holding your breath like you know you can hold your breath for a certain amount of time but if you do it too long you'll die right like right, you know, right, right, and i right. thought well maybe you can not eat any animal products for a week or two or a month but right. eventually you're just gonna die and it wasn't until i read an interview with carl lewis who talked about being vegan or what I thought wow. was vegan. And he talked about how that was helpful for him. And I, I worshiped this guy, like his poster on my wall and where wow. I lived with my parents at the time. And, and to see that, like, you know, the best athlete in the world. Now, for those of you who are too young to know who Carl Lewis is, you know, he was like the Usain Bolch or the Michael Phelps yeah. of that era, like the best Olympian, right? The most decorated Olympian. And to see that this guy was the, like, you know, a, now a poster child for veganism. I was like, oh my God, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And so that kind of gave me the shove. Like I knew, I thought it was probably the right thing to do, but then seeing that like this top athlete could do it helped push me over 
And then I met people who I learned actually were not vegans, but vegans, and many of them yeah. been doing it for a while. And 30 years later, I'm still doing it. So, you wow. know, it's, it's, uh, I haven't died yet. I love it, man. I love it. And like you said, man, I mean, it's, you know, you see athletes and that was like I said, old school. That's like he's one of the first, you know, just to kind of trailblazer athlete to do it, man. But, you know, for me, like I said, man, it was just I wanted to, you know, not really from a standpoint of like I didn't really go into a career at it, but it was more or less, you know, I'm a college student, you know, just having to feed myself vegan. And, at the, you know, when you first start out is, you know, it's a lot of pastas and spaghettis and you know, ramen bowls and, you know, this, you know, all that type of stuff, man. But eventually, you know, I started really getting excited about, you know, replicating the things that I grew up eating, you know, so wanting to create a vegan mac and cheese, you know, wanting to replicate a vegan chicken, you know. And, and so I really honestly started going through cookbooks. It was an old school cookbook called Country Life. It was this old, huh. I'm talking about like oh, a yeah. 1970s cookbook, man. Oh, man. Did, did you ever go to the Country Life chain of restaurants that I they had? I did go to the Country oh, Life chain. Of, you know, so you yeah. know about that, man. That's oh, funny, man. Not, oh, not it. I loved it. I went every time. Every time I went to Boston, the, the Boston I, like, New set, York. Out, oh, I, I wow. set out like an entire like afternoon just to go to Country Come Life. Come on, man. These are for, epic. For the, yeah. For those who aren't familiar, it was, it was a, I don't think it's around anymore, but it's an Adventist owned chain yep. of vegan restaurants and it was all you can eat oh you can eat and man. so like, think about like you know for a vegan to go to an all you can eat buffet yeah, man. Yep. you know it's, it's like you've gone to heaven because you know oh, most wow. of the time you're going to a restaurant and you're looking for one thing on the menu now you yep. go here and it's an entire restaurant Everything. and no That's matter good, how much man. food you take it's the same price and you just can't believe it so yeah, yeah. I, I would like fantasize about country life but i you know i didn't know they had a cookbook that's really interesting yeah so I, that's why man that's where i began man that was like my foundation like it had all these amazing recipes and it got me honestly kind of you know and even my manufacturing principles that you know since i self-produced manufacturing now you know i learned the ratios i started studying this the combinations of you know x amount of this x amount of that you know whether it's being with simple stuff like being the water ratios you know this and it was kind of like I started looking at recipes, not like each individual ingredient, like one tablespoon of garlic powder, one ta- teaspoon of salt or whatever. I started seeing the ratios of food and X amount of cashews, X amount of this. And, you know, I started really looking at the principles and that cookbook, man, crazy enough. I went through like every recipe in that cookbook and it became like my like my culinary hub because, you know, at that point it really wasn't vegan culinary schools that was kind of popularized. It was just me taking old school cookbooks, man, and just going through recipes. And I wasn't afraid to kind of just step outside of the recipe. And, and so that began my personal journey of just creating food. It started with granola. That was my first product, man. Crunchy, bunchy granola. You know, I says, we don't box, but have a granola that will knock you out. And uh, <laughs> yeah, started making granola, man. And, you know, that was, I was about 20 and uh, I was working with a team of young men and we had a little granola business, man, making granola and, and bread. We made a uh, vegan bread, raisin swirl bread, oat, 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 I think oat and honey. These different different breads that we made back then, man, and we made granola. We would sell them like door to door. Started working in small little commercial kitchens and stuff like that. But that was my first product, and you know, like I said, I had these little. I started creating names, you know, pleasing, pleasing pineapple, peachy peach, you know, the mm-hmm. blueberry so you, blast. You know, yeah. it was kind of like this, this natural, like not really trying to make a company out of it, but just really just having fun and just the yeah, creative so you- side. You know. yeah, so you, you were marketing even even back then. Man. It kind of reminds me. I was I was looking today. You know that brand Bitch and Sauce. Yeah, you know I mean, I love I love Bitch and yeah. Sauce, man. Yeah, yes, it, it, it's really good. But you know, it, it's just an almond dip, right? Like it's imagine an if they, exactly. right, imagine if they <laughs> called it almond dip. Almond, then, yeah. no, like their their sales yeah. would probably be a tenth what they are. But because it's called yeah. Bitch and Sauce, yep. you think, oh yep. man, this sauce must be bitching. 
and, and it is bitching. It's a great sauce. I it's really a great like sauce. it. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, man. so yeah, you, you're they're they're taking principles out of the Chef Chu playbook here for the the pleasurable hey, man, pineapple. You know, or whatever. It, not, nothing yeah. like a name, man. And but now, nah, man, it was more of like I said, a per started out as a personal journey, a hobby, a passion, wanting to cre- replicate foods that I grew up eating. You know, so having to do a mac and cheese and, you know, and eventually I got really excited about plant-based proteins. Nothing of the, the details where we are today in the industry. But at that point, I was taking like oats and potatoes and tofu and I was just doing concoctions, man, messing with, you know, gluten and kind of creating like these crazy concoctions. And I was just putting ingredients. There. I didn't even care. man. I was like, let's see what happens. And I sat at my first first little chicken wing that I created. It was like I love the KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Honey Barbecue Chicken Wings. And so that was like my first knockoff. Like, how can I create the 20 piece honey barbecue chicken wing just like KFC did it? And so that was like my first, you know, so I had this little cool. I took an oat burger the first time. man. I I still remember this to this day. Took an oat burger and rather than forming into an oat patty, I turned it into like a chicken leg. And man, when I looked at it, it was just like it was just I just died laughing, man, because I didn't you know, I had eaten chicken for like maybe two or three years at that point. And I remember when I made that little chicken leg, it was like, oh, wow, this is, it was just, this didn't ever think of turning an oat patty to a chicken leg. You know, it was like, you just make oat burgers. And, and that became the very beginning where my mind started saying, you know, let's make protein. And that was the beginning, man. And this just became a, this honestly a 20 year journey, even to the day, you know, just still replicating and trying to create plant, plant-based products and plant-based proteins. When it started, I was about my early twenties kind of replicating plant-based meats. And it led not into manufacturing at the time, but more into the restaurant space. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that was my very beginning, you know, and it kind of grew into more of the science and the development of the proteins where we are today. But my foundation, man, was really a passion to replicate foods that I grew up eating in a healthier version. And with the mission that, you know, how can I create foods that I love, taste delicious and healthy uh, with the goal of, man, just helping my family eat better. You know, that was really the, the basic passion behind what I was doing, man. So, yeah, let me ask you about that because, you know, people have different reasons. You know, some people are highly motivated by wanting to do something good for the planet. Other people want to do something good for their their family's health. Other people are highly motivated by animal welfare. I presume there's some combination of all these for you, including religious reasons as an Adventist. But is is health the primary motivating factor for you? Is that what gets you out of bed every day? I think that's one of the definitely I would say health is definitely a driving force. I mean, I always say, man, you know, save life. You know, one of my, my most personal losses was my pops, my dad, man, rest in peace. You know, my, my name actually comes from him, believe it or not. His name was Granwell Wayman Chu. That was his name. And uh, I have his name, his initials as my real name, crazy enough. You know, but he died way too young, man, 62 years old. And, you know, I'm 40, 41. And just to kind of think, man, he died at 62. I have friends that are 62. And it was just such a young age, man, to pass. And, you know, it was lifestyle disease, you know, just the things that, you know, habits of life and, and it's, you know, catches up with us, man. And so, you know, for me, man, I, when I think about food, you know, food is really medicine, you know, food heals. And uh, when done properly and when done well, plants are powerful. And, you know, I think for me, man, health is really the, the biggest catalyst of why I do what I do. You know, it drives me. Yeah. So we talked about the origins. Let's get to where you are now, because it looks like you have six different SKUs of the Better Chew product. And it's, I know you're in not all Whole Foods, but you're in some Whole Foods. And what are these products? Like, you know, you talked about how you're taking oats and potatoes. It's obviously not what you're doing today. So what are in these products and what's the innovation that you have brought? Like there's a lot of different brands of plant-based meat out there. Most of them combine, you know, soy and wheat or pea or some combination of those three. 
and what's different? Like what makes the better chew product different than the rest? Yeah, man. I mean, our industry, most plant-based proteins obviously are based on extrusion, high temperature, wet extrusion processes, which create more of a vertical kind of kind of stringier type of product that's then utilized to create, you know, burgers and patties and crumbles and, you know, sausages and things of that nature. Our product is actually made from the whole soybean. We actually have a process that goes from the soybean to a milk. We create more of a horizontal kind of kind of structure to the protein. So we kind of create this horizontal structure that kind of has layers. So we kind of create this kind of layer. I kind of call it a layerization almost that we kind of do with the horizontal structure. So what happens is rather than it being a vertical stringier kind of like extruded process, we're creating like layers of, of protein, which we then, after we have the raw protein, we can cut into, you know, into any kind of shape. So whether it's a tender, whether it's a, a nugget, we can shred it. So it kind of really has more of a shredded steak or a shredded chicken kind of experience. Whereas nice. a lot of products might have more of a crumble, you know, and it's kind mm-hmm. of more, you know, it's not really a shredded steak, a carne asada that you get on a real piece of beef. And so we can kind of create that real striated kind of experience, you know, that you get with a, a muscle, meat muscle. So is the Chef Chew layerization process cheaper than extrusion then, I presume? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Because, you know, because extrusion, you know, you know, extrusion is a fancy way of saying lots of heat and lots of pressure. Lots right? of pressure. So exactly. You got to use, you know, it's not only a lot of capital expenditure, right? Because you got to yes. get the extruder, the extruder, which is very, is very expensive. expensive. Yes. But the yep. operating expenditures are also very high to run extrusion processes where it sounds like you're doing something very different. And obviously, I'm not going to ask about what exactly the layerization process entails, but do you have any patent protection on this? Like, is this a trade secret? Like, how are you you protecting it? Yeah, trade secret, man, is something I've developed over years. You know, there's definitely a a level of steps that that we've kind of, you know, that kind of, it's not an easy process to replicate. And so, you know, we've been doing it for years, man. And that's just kind of our bread and butter. We got this, again, this striation process that, you know, that we're doing. And our goal right now is to scale it. You know, we were still doing again a smaller scale, but our goal right now is really to, we've, we've pretty, pretty much taken the last five years to really understand the manufacturing processes. It's very efficient, very, not super expensive to, you know, to pretty much, you know, get the equipment to manufacture at scale. So that's kind of our next step is really to commercialize the process. But nah, man, that's, that's been our, been my journey, man. It's, it's been a lot of years of this layers on layers on layers on layers of the process and this tweaking and tweaking and tweaking, you know, every, you know, every single step, you know, it's, it's this as much of a science as it is an art, you know, and it's kind of understand at first, when I first started creating the product, it was kind of more out of accident. A lot of great products are created from accidents. You know, you didn't hmm, realize yeah. and then you kind of like backtrack what happened, but then you started, then I started understanding the science that was kind of happening, you know, behind it. And, you know, but, you know, you can have a great product, but how to commercialize it into manufacturing production, that's really the part where we had to really take our time. I mean, mm-hmm. that's where we are today is really at a place of, you know, how do we scale this at large quantities? I mean, I know what you're doing. I mean, you had to, you know, you innovated methods that's not, you know, not been in, 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 in production and having to scale that up into large, you know, production. And so that's, we're kind of yeah. at that, at that stage now of ready to go to that next level to really scale up, you know, our manufacturing. So. Right. Yeah. What we're doing at the Better Miko is very different. You know, first we're a B two B ingredients provider, right? Like we're not a CG, we're not a CPG brand, but you know, we're we're avoiding extrusion also, right? Like so, we're getting the texture through fermentation rather than yeah. through extrusion, which is a different ball game altogether. But you know, you talk about a lot of the times about like democratizing plant based meat, which I presume means making it cheaper, right? Is that that's Correct. what I mean by democratizing it? So, how much cheaper? I, I realize probably until you're at scale, that's not going to be possible, but 
if you look at plant-based meat today, you know, it's always, not always, it's nearly always sold at much higher uh, prices than, than conventional animal-based meat. So do you think that you'll be able to compete with animal meat? hundred percent. I 100% believe it. I think definitely in beef, that's something that we can definitely compete in. We actually compete actually currently in beef with our, we sell the school districts, for example, and we can actually, you know, not, not the cheaper beef, but some of the, some of the school districts do get, you know, more premium styles of beef. And per pound, we're beating them almost literally per serving. I think we're like almost 40 cents cheaper per what, serving. What is that? Like, what is the beef? And then what is, you know, what is the beef wholesale cost that they'll be paying? And then, yeah, know, so their serving costs, I don't, I can't remember exactly the, the actual price, but the serving costs, one of our school districts is like 140 per right. serving. We're at about a dollar per okay. serving. Okay. Right. Um, and so the, ser- the serving is what, six or eight ounces or something? No, not that much. It's about four, about, four ounces. About, 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 for school dishes, about three ounces. Um, this okay. is for school districts. So it's about three ounces, 140 on their serving size. And we're about, almost about a dollar, man. Right. It's pretty, pretty amazing. So beef is something that we can compete on. It's hard to compete against chicken, you know, because it's just companies that's doing that such at such. I mean, everything is done at scale in the meat, in the meat world, but beef mm-hmm. is just a harder, it's a more expensive protein. Chicken is just, you know, subsidized so much and it's just really difficult. But we're, we actually have yeah. a chicken patty that we're actually about two cents cheaper with the school districts right now. Oh, nice. So, but yeah, you know, it, it, yeah, if it's a, th- you know, if it's a three ounce serving and it's about a dollar per three ounces, that's going to be roughly a little bit more than $5 per pound. Right. And so, you know, that's pretty good. I mean, I, I, I was looking in Safeway the other day at the Beyond Burgers. And admittedly, this is retail, not wholesale. So it's going to be different, but still it was five ninety nine for two patties, and these are quarter pound patties. So that means yeah. that you know that's twelve dollars a pound. Yes, uh, for for Beyond Burgers at Safeway, and you know, I mean, that's that's not like twenty or thirty percent more expensive than yeah. conventional hamburgers. It's like two or three hundred percent more yeah. expensive. Yeah, it's, it's it's definitely uh, yeah. It's not man. It's it's not easy, man. I always say. I mean, I don't. It's, it's as long as meat is subsidized, you know, it's just a very difficult thing for companies to, you know, to really compete against certain products. You know, it's just not easy. Yeah. We don't have any choices though. You know, like for us, like for those of us who are trying to replicate animal meat without animals, like, you know, we like to talk about the crop insurance programs and all that. And I I agree. Like, I I don't like that either, but you know, we got to play the cards as they're dealt, you know, you know, you know, being nice to say, well, we should be competing on fair grounds, but yeah, just accept reality and, and know that yeah, you're not going to yeah. be able to. Yeah. So, when do you think that you can get there? Like, uh, you know, what, what mean, are the barriers I mean, to you, know, to what, you being? Uh, you're, you're talking about commercializing. Obviously, you're in school districts. You're in some Whole Foods. Like, you have commercialized. But you're I made also- a de- yeah, I made a deliberate decision, man. I didn't actually go into a process. I didn't go the venture capital route, which nothing against venture capital. I just, I just, did, I wanted a more long term play for our company, which made it slower to capitalize. You know, and so we went more, you know, very social impact investors, you know, patient capital. And just as a result of that, you know, we just had to grow a lot slower. Uh, I think to our protection, uh, I do think there's, there's two aspects. You know, those that did VC properly are still alive and a lot of them didn't survive it. You know, and so, as you know, I think there's a there's a there's a fundamental reality around, you know, sometimes the burn is can be so much, especially in our industry, if you're not careful, you know, but we, I took a slower approach on fundraising which obviously commercializing something is going to take more time. And so, you know, that's been one of our, I think our biggest, I won't call it biggest challenges, but just one of the, the decisions that I made, you know, early on that we took, you know, capital that was, you know, where we could, you know, kind of just grow a company long-term and patiently, 
you know, and this that was a deliberate move. So it just has created a more slower path to commercialization, to large scale commercialization. So, you know, I, we're at a stage now that we're we're ready to go to that level. But go ahead. I know you had another question that you ready to ask on that. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me, let me ask you, like, so, you know, you're, you're producing at a small scale now, as you mentioned, do you, is your supply greater than your demand? Like, is, are you able, if, if you got more, if more school districts came and said, Hey, Chef Chu, we want to buy from you, would you be able to satiate their demand? To a degree, to a degree. I mean, we're in the process of opening, of building a new plant as we speak. And so in the next six to eight months, you know, we're going to be at a really good place to really kind of scale, you know, but right mm-hmm. now our current, current manufacturing you know, we can't, I mean, I had an opportunity, we had an opportunity going to Costco at one point and it was just, it just, we just, they was like, how many stores can you do? I was like, not too many. And yeah, um, their yeah. volume was just insane, man. I mean, so we couldn't go in any, any like super large opportunities. Mm-hmm. I would say probably another two years from now, we already be at that place. It probably takes another eight to 12 months to really get our factory up and running. And so about, you know, then it takes another time to, you know, to get that all set up properly. But so- yeah. How are you how are you financing this? Like are you doing it through free cash flow? Are you taking on debt? Are you taking on new venture investors? Man, we integrated capital, man. That's kind of been our model from the beginning. So we do have a number of equity investors that has invested, you know, since we started, you know, very social impact, you know, investors that understand the long game that we're playing. There's a there is a part of our business model of ownership. There's not a lot of minority companies in the food industry that actually, you know, own processes and own production and own, you know, own their their business. And so we really wanted to build something that, you know, was owned by, you know, a person of color and that can actually create, you know, jobs in their community. And it wasn't just simply built on the model of, you know, we're not opposed to an exit, um, but not just built on the sim- model of simply to scale it all, scale it at whatever costs and just, you know, whatever it takes, how much money you got to raise. And that's just the foundation of how we, how we grow. So we built with that f- fundamental value in place. So it was, Equity investors that understood that and, 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 and believed in that alignment, debt investors, you know, you know, we had a lot of CDFIs, uh, which is definitely amazing for smaller, you know, outfits, community development, finance institutions. You know, these are banks that are nonprofits. They can do larger investments. You know, it's not like they're just giving you a hundred thousand, but these are, these banks can give up to five or ten million, depending on the banks. And so we've been able to partner with some of these banks to get our equipment, uh, mostly equipment, you know, for the most part. Um, so and, these are these are loans that you're getting from community development financial yeah, exactly. institutions. These are these are loans that you know that's pretty much helped to finance you know a lot of our equipment that we've been able to get. When we first started, man, it was just bootstrap, man. I mean, we got leases, you know, equipment leases, and just you know, just stuff that has had to be done as a basic small mm-hmm. producer manufacturer, you know. And then so you know, all of that, and I also did some revenue type concepts as well, revenue equity type concepts, you know, that we've been able to do. So it's kind of been a mixture of debt equity and then, you know, alternative alternative equity strategies that we've been able to do. That's kind of worked in our favor. So our investment model allows us to buy back our investors, buy back the shares from our investors. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's really a cool model. We give them a certain, you know, multiple on their investment. We're buying back the shares, you know, as we kind of, as we kind of do mm-hmm. that over the years. And so, um, so so presumably you can't buy them back at any price. You have to guarantee some type yeah, it's of a certain, multiple. It's a, it's right. a guaranteed right. price that we've already yeah, agreed nice. to. And nice. so they get a multiple, you know, that, that they were looking for as far as, a, you know, return if we nice. got milestones. And, you know, so, it's, you know, we've been able to create some models like that um, that's been in alignment, you know. But again, you know, raising $20 million on that model is not that easy. You know, I wish it was, but it's, it's just not. Yeah. And so, you know, that's been the challenge, you know, I would say is that with the vision and the, mo- mo- the model that we have, it just, it's just a slow growth pattern. And at first, you know, it was kind of frustrating to a degree, you know, like, man, everybody else is raising X and it's like, 
but I come to appreciate the, the, the smaller, you know, the slower, the slower process. And I, I think it's allowed us to learn some things and master some things early on over a longer. I always look at the story of the Wright brothers, you know, as they kind of built the, you know, the, you know, the, I was the wing wharf. I forgot the exact term that they use, but, you know, they mastered, you know, keeping standing in the air for X amount of time and they took time. They didn't rush the process. And that was kind of, they kind of, you know, talk about that story when you read that story. But I, that's kind of been our vision, man. It's just really, it's okay to, it doesn't have to happen tomorrow. You know, I've been a vegan, vegan for 20 years and I think it's, you know, we're going to be doing this for the next, hopefully for the next 20. Hopefully we can get some answers and really scale this thing up. But I'm okay. I've been okay. I've been, at first it was, again, it's a little frustrating the time. Now I'm, I've come to appreciate this, the journey and em- embrace it. And now we're at a great stepping stone and it's a good foundation that we've created as a company. So, yeah. As- that's great. You, you alluded earlier to saying, you know, some of the VC backed companies that haven't made it. Obviously, you know, it's well known that there's a, a, a particularly difficult time in the alternative meat CV, yes, uh, sphere, sphere right it's, now. It's d- d- tough, man. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of companies have gone out of business. Uh, a lot of companies have had to do layoffs. You've seen you yes. know, you know, Beyond Meat and Oatly, which are the two big publicly traded companies in the space, have had massive reductions in their stock price. What do you attribute this to? Like, why do you think well, it is? is it, it's not just the VC-backed companies. It's the publicly I, I traded think, companies. It's the startups. I mean, there there does seem to be like something like that is a dark cloud over the alternative meat space right now. Like, what do you hypothesize is the reason? Man, that's a very, very tough question, man. And it's something I think keeps us all up at night. I think one of the challenges I've seen in our industry, even when you read some of the public companies, you know, a lot of them just simply don't have the margins. I mean, the food industry is brutal. I mean, the more you dig into it, I mean, you do B2B, but CPG, I mean, just, you know, direct to, you know, grocery, selling to grocery stores, et cetera, man. It's just the cost of this stuff is just so insane. Uh, right. I remember yeah. in Beyond's, you know, and my, my CFO, he, he had read a, their, their public offering statement. And one of the things that they mentioned is that they didn't know how they were going to become profitable. And that was in their public offering. And I think that was just something that, most plant-based companies, I mean, you, there was excitement of the growth, but you fundamentally have to figure out how to make money in making it. And yeah. I, think, I think the reality is, you know, there was a lot of excitement 2020, 2019, 2020, you know, and excitement. It was super sexy. But most companies, I think, we were, you know, it was just challenging on how do you actually make money in producing this? You have the old school companies like, you know, the Morning Stars have been doing this. You know, they, they came from Worthington, but they, you know, it's been around almost 80, right. 70, 80 years. Um, right. Yeah. You, you, you have know. these like, you know, you have these legacy companies, not, not just Morningstar, but Light Life, Field Roast. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I, I was looking at some of the public statements. I mean, Tarferki have been losing a lot of money in the last few years from what I could see in their publicly available gotcha. statements. They, they, they got acquired by a, a big dairy like tofu company. company. Was it a tofu company or? Or was it a dairy um, company? So it's a tofu company that's owned by a dairy oh, company. Oh, no, okay. I didn't, so, okay, didn't realize yeah. that. So, okay. both, so both, yeah. So it's a huge, you. it's like a big Asian dairy company that also owns a tofu subsidiary. And got that, you, got that you. Subsidiary. But either way, um, yeah, and Guardian is profitable, you know, like they 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 were, you know, they've been around for a while, obviously. Yeah, but exactly. You know, they've, they've been around for a while and they've been acquired and then reacquired. Yeah. Uh, first from Pinnacle Foods and now owned by ConAgra. But yeah, it does seem like there's a real struggle here, you know, these companies that are, mostly just losing money and i joke yeah. because you know my wife tony she has a somewhat similar background to you in that you know she saw her family dying of diseases prematurely and so she wanted to do something to help them and so she started this blog called plant-based on a budget Absolutely, to try man. to show Legendary. them how, how, how to eat yes. healthy and 
you know, one thing led to another. She never put any of her own money in. She never took any outside investment just through revenue generation. A woman through plant-based on a budget, you know, she's got six people working for her now. I love it. And so, you know, you look at that, it's like a successful business that is a very odd model, which is that they make more than they spend. You yeah, know, it's like this model yeah. where they actually make something called profit. I don't know if they oh, teach about man. this like business school anymore. Come but on, man! It's like you know, it's like this amazing model where they actually yes. have fewer expenditures than they it do revenue. Revenue, yeah. And so, like, what do it take for the rest of us in, in, to get there? And you know, I think it's it's really hard to see. I mean, even some of the ingredient suppliers, like Merit Functional Foods, which is a big pea protein supplier to the alternative meat space, went went under completely. So, you know, there's just a, there's a, a very dark cloud right now. And, you know, I, I think that part of it has to do with having an inflationary environment where people have less Absolutely. money to spend on food, Yeah, you know, because alternative meats today are sold at much more expensive prices than conventional animal-based meats. It's like when you have more money in your pocket, you might be willing yeah. to spend more for yeah. things that you perceive as healthier. But when there's a big inflate, a lot of inflation and you think that you're tighter on cash and you're spending less, you want to, you know, spend less on food. Maybe this is one of those items that's perceived as a, as a nice to have, but not as a must have. Man, I a hundred percent agree, man. I think definitely the inflationary environment has definitely played a, played a big, played a big piece. And I, you know, just speaking to a lot of the grocery stores, I mean, sales have been down, you know, I think also the educational side of things. I mean, there was a lot of hype at one point, you know, you had different documentaries that were coming out and, you know, that excitement kind of, it drove the space. You know, there was so many news articles kind of coming to I me mean, beyond and impossible. I mean, did a phenomenal job. I mean, this in the mm-hmm. marketing and it was just that war between those two in a good way that brought a lot of awareness to the space, you know, but, you know, like I said, things have definitely died down, you know, but it's the need is still here. I think, you know, what you write about and just the need of, you know, from an environmental standpoint, I mean, the, the need is, the need is here, man. And, you know, if I'm, somehow we, we, we got to keep fighting and, you know, Hopefully the prices of production can go down over time. If you, if you can figure these aspects out, so I, don't, I don't have it all figured out, you know, but I do know that, you know, it's, it's just something that, you know, I always say if the motivation, you know, is there, the right motivation is there, you know, people will, people are resilient. We're going to figure out the answers on how to make this thing work, you know? So, yeah. Right. Yeah. It seems like it's definitely will be born out of necessity uh, because, you know, you already see governments around the world starting to fund clean energy in a way that they haven't in the past because they see the the environmental urgency of doing so. And I think it would be very hard to ignore the the elephant or really the cow in the room here. And so um, my hope is that we'll see, you know, an industry that has really taken off with venture backing start taking off with more public support, like public yeah. dollar support, so that in the same way that, you know, countries in Asia have been publicly funding their clean energy yeah, sectors. Absolutely. You know, this is yeah. why all the solar panels and wind turbines that we use in America were probably actually produced in Asia. You know, we don't want the same thing to happen and help all yeah. our food be produced elsewhere also. You know, so yeah. hopefully we can get more uh, going in that. So. Fingers crossed that that's what occurs yeah. sooner rather than later because there's a lot of companies, including yours and mine, that could probably benefit from that type of support. Man, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah no doubt. So let me ask you, like, you have uh, obviously been influenced by a lot of different factors, whether it's Seventh-day Adventists or uh, the Country Life Cookbook and so on. But, you know, there's probably people who are listening like, man, I really admire what Chef Chu has achieved and has done so far, the things that you would recommend for them that you would say, oh, you know, check this out. Like, I really liked this book or some other resource that's been useful that you would recommend for somebody who wants to make a difference. Yeah, man. You know, one of the things I, I really, one of my favorite books that I read years ago was Start With Why, Simon Sinek. I know it's a popular book, you know, it's famous TED Talk that he did. 
you know, but that for me, man, I think, you know, you know, been able to win a few pitch competitions, do a lot of storytelling. My why, I think, is, you know, what's kept me going in the in the worst of days, you know, because, I mean, if you're in business long enough, you're going to have some good days some bad days. I mean, it's going to be the days you just you're like, man, I am going to not do this no more. Um, but when you have a why that's just bigger than life, bigger than this world, it's literally going to save, help save the world, as you kind of mentioned, as one of your, you know, just on the thoughts you kind of shared. You know, that's that's really important, man. And not really, you know, I always say, I mean, I always say it looks like chicken, tastes like chicken, but it ain't chicken. You know, and that's a powerful, you know, funny statement. You know, people laugh and, you know, it's like, you know, well, it's not chicken, you know, but I'm just talking about what it is, you know, but it's not really the motivation of why I'm doing what I do. Um, right. You know, and I think when we kind of drive from a place of the why, it really, really gets us up in those most difficult times. It helps the consumer to really understand that it's more than just a product. And I think that's something I'm even going back to. I'm even challenging my own self, you know, they kind of got to a place where, you know, I got a better texture, you know, and this and that thing, you know, you're just, you're just competing on what it is or the benefits of the product. But really, what really makes your company special? What really gets you up in the morning? I think in, in, in really bringing that message to, the, to our customers, I think is really the, the thing that really gets them to really just get super excited about what we do. And yeah. so that's something that I would definitely say, man, this, the old school Simon Sinek, man, just start with why, man. And I think that All was right, one of well, my favorite, favorite books I always recommend, man. Very cool. We'll link to that in the show notes of this episode at businessforgoodpodcast.com. And I totally agree with you. I mean, people sometimes have a uh, romanticized vision of what it's like to found a company and they look at only the success stories, right? And they're yeah. thinking, oh, look at this. These these people overcame adversity and they succeeded. You know, most companies fail, right? Like 90% of startups much. fail. Yeah. And there's a quote that I love from Ben Horowitz, a co-founder of Andreessen Horowitz, the mm-hmm. venture capital fund. But he wrote in his, in his book that when you found your own company, you will sleep like a baby because you're going to wake up every two hours and cry. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think funny. about I like, love it. I, yeah, I love what that. I think about is like, you know, basically you're beating your head against the wall over and over and over again. And some people will say, well, I'm going to stop because I don't want to break my head. And other people will say, I'm going to keep going because I think the wall is going to break first. Mm. And that's what I view running a company is like, like eventually, you know, you got to have the belief that that wall will break. And I would not be doing what I'm doing. It's way too difficult um, mm-hmm. and 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 time and resource consumptive to do if I didn't have that North Star of yes. my my main motivating. You know, I, I do care about public health, obviously, but for me, like animal welfare has been this very Absolutely. driving force for me. And it just wouldn't be worth it to me. Like if I was just selling widgets, like honestly, it would mm-hmm. just like the 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 idea of trying to get, you know, wealth would, would not be appealing to me to do what mm. I'm doing. So I hear you on that for sure. So let me ask you, like, we're talking about starting companies and how hard it is and you're going to beat your head against the wall and you wake up every two hours and cry. So if somebody does want to start a company <laughs> in the worst of times to do it, like right now, what would you chef to suggest? Uh, what type of companies do you wish existed that don't exist? Or maybe we need more of that type of company in the world right now. You know, man, I'm I'm always a big firm believer. I mean, you know, you have the major, massive, you know, tech food and massive, you know, but I, you know, I always like to say artisan food is just something special about that, man. It's it's you know, it's not as sexy. It may not be as profitable or not necessarily profitable. It could be actually it is profitable. A lot of the artisan businesses are profitable, but I think there's these, you know, as it was like a resurgence of you know, kind of farms and you know you know, local produce and, the, you know, the farmer's markets and stuff like that. I think there needs to be a resurgence back of this simple foods, you know, artisan makers, 
just doing great, delicious, ethnic foods that just taste amazing. Plant-based, obviously, is my, you know, what I recommend. You know, but I, I think there's a, a resurgence. I think there needs to be a resurgence of that, man. Just some simple, you know, mm-hmm. not the the grandiose. I think I, I think I always say, man, if you start small, build your customer, you know, the big things will come. You know, it's, it's a scripture I always go to. It's in the book of Job in the Bible. It says, though thy beginning was small, yet in thy latter end, thou shalt greatly increase. And I just a firm believer of finding, uh, you know, especially in food, artisan foods that connects with our cultures, our communities. You know, it's always something there that's just never been done before. It's always that cultural food that can be veganized or made plant-based that just resonates. And those are the beginnings of a lot of times of the most, the best innovation, you know, that's not done in, in, a, in a, you know, necessarily in a lab, as people kind of say these days. But that's, you know, it's food. It's just, it's community, it's culture. And it's, I just feel like it's always someone that has something cooking, you know, that if you can commercialize it, start small, but then commercialize it and grow those become iconic companies, you know, that we all yeah. love. And so that's, that's something that I always say, man, to start with that, you never go wrong. Yeah. I think about that a lot. You know, there's so much money, literally billions of dollars being put into biotech to try to get these like new foods that can do really awesome things like bleed like a burger or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Right. And I, I believe in that. I really Absolutely. think people, I, I really think people want the meat experience. So we got to try to replicate that meat experience for them. But I have wondered, you know, like if, if the goal is to get people to be eating fewer animals and more plants, um, are there other ways in addition to replicating the meat experience yeah. that we could be going? Like, you know, could, you know, somebody put a lot of money into marketing tofu or beans yeah. even? And, you know, are, are you familiar with the Butler Soy Carls? You know that oh, product? That's, uh, yeah, man. That's, yeah. that's the Seven Adventists. I mean, yeah. they, they've been oh, around. They're Adventists? I didn't they're know seven that. Seven Adventists, uh, absolutely, man. Mr. Butler, right, so, man. Uh, He's been around forever, man. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, man. All right. Well, I don't know what, what old Butler is doing there, but I love that product. I buy yes. it all the time. I, I eat curls. their product. Come on, man. Yeah. And, and maybe that's similar to yours. I don't know. It's a whole soybean product, so I don't yeah. know what they're doing. But the point is, you know, I think about that. Like, how much, like, how far can you get with those type of products? which are much simpler to yeah. produce than so much of what is happening right now. It's not a substitute for what's happening, but you know, it does seem like maybe there should be more uh, yeah. people who are doing something like that. Yeah, and, man. You know, the biotechnology attracted the venture capital dollars for a while, so it's understandable why people want to go that direction. Yeah. But if you just want to build a business that has you know, low OPEX needs and might be able to actually generate real profitable revenue, yes. that's the way to go. Yeah, um, man. So, so I'll include a link to Butler's in there. So yeah, man, please. Man, that's I order them on company. Amazon. I get six bags at a time. For those who aren't familiar, it's a decades old brand where it's dry shelf stable mm-hmm. strips and you hydrate that. Hydrate it. And, and, you know, it's chewy. I want to say nobody's going to think it's meat, but yeah. it's chewy. It's chewy like meat. Yep. Um, but it, it, you know, nobody's going to say, oh, I can't tell the difference between this and meat. But it's good. It's and good. it's a whole food. Absolutely. It's not a, you know, it's not a fractionate or an isolate or an extrudate. It's a whole yep. food. And it's a single ingredient. It's just whole so soybeans that exactly. have been extruded. Yeah. All right. Yep. Is it extruded? Is it an extruded product? I believe it is. I think he actually okay. I think he actually created a machine. I don't know exact technology, but I think he actually created a machine that creates these these soy curls. And so it was he was interesting. A engineer, okay. I think, and he created this whole process. Yeah. And so yeah. All right. Man. Yep. Well, all right. He's like the carver of soy instead of instead of peanuts. Yeah. Okay. Well, 
Chef Chu, it's great to talk with you. Speaking of GWs, you know, George Washington Carver, by the way. That's my, uh, hey, but, that's my hero, man. I <laughs> is love he it. really? Okay. Oh, yeah. All right, absolutely, cool. man. That's my uh, hero, nice. man. Oh, I'm yep. glad I invoked him. That's yeah. nice. Yeah, man. All right. Well, tell tell Butler I, I I really appreciate his service to my life for I sure. I love it, man. But I'll be rooting for you, and I hope to see the Better Chew products on more grocery store shelves and in more school districts, and hopefully even in Costco in the coming years because we need to democratize plant-based meat and make it much cheaper so that more people will be interested. So I'm grateful for all you're doing, man. And I'm rooting, it, man. I'm, I'm rooting for your success. I've been rooting for you since I saw you at that pitch at 2018 Food Funded. Thank you, man. And I, I hope we cross paths again soon. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you for your work as well. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it useful. And if you did, please let the world know. Leave the show a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app and share the episode with your friends. Who knows? Maybe you'll inspire one of them to be in the business of doing good themselves.